Today's scripture reading has been taken from Leviticus, chapter 19, verses 1 to 2, and 17 to 18. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 121 to 122. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel, and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel according to John. John chapter 13, verses 31 to 38. You can find this on page 1081, if you're using the Red Bible in your pew. John chapter 13, beginning with verse 31. It'll be good if you have this in front of you during the reading, but also keep it open there during the sermon as well. Let's hear God's word. When he, that is Judas Iscariot, when he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm so glad that you're here after a summer break, because this is an important day in our church life. Today, we as a congregation are turning a corner together. When I came a year ago, our elders decided to adopt this idea of up, in, and out as our theme for the past year. And we're going to actually stick with that theme for a couple of more years at least. And if you're new here at IPC, or maybe you just have been around but haven't heard this up, in, and out stuff, or maybe you're new to Christianity and to the church altogether and you're like, what is he talking about? That's okay, let me briefly explain it. What is up, in, and out. A good refresher for all of us. 
up is just a way of saying that our relationship to God as a church matters and matters a lot. Up is about knowing the Son of God. It's about rejoicing in the Holy Spirit together. It's about learning under the ministry of his word. It's about worship and prayer and getting better at those things, both as individuals and as a congregation together. That's up. What is in? In is about our relationship to one another here in the body of Christ. And what about out? Well, out is about our relationship to the world, our mission to show and to tell Christ's love to our neighbors, both near and far away. And it's important to understand that there's nothing new and there's really nothing fancy or even clever about up, in, and out. It's not something I came up with. In fact, it's something that every real church does. We're saying it, and we're giving it a sort of clever way to say it, because we want to make sure that we are not just a real church, but that we're a church that is learning how to do what every real, true church does, and learning how to do it better and better together, up, in, and out. And in a way, this past year, our focus was on up. It was on relating together to God. And so we had sermons, for example, on Colossians, and we asked, who is Jesus in Colossians? We learned how to read, if you remember, an Old Testament book almost a year ago uh, by the name of Ruth, but to read it as if it were a gospel right in the middle of our New Testaments, to make it what it really is, and that is all about Jesus. We started, in other contexts, our Bible at 10 studies at 10 o'clock on Sundays, and the goal there, along with all these things, is to grow in our relationship upward with God, our Father, and His Son. And of course, in this next year, even as we turn the corner, we are going to keep going up. We wouldn't be a real church if we stopped. But starting today, we're going in. We're going in, and we're going to do that together. In fact, from now until Advent, every sermon, morning and evening, is going to be focused on this movement together in, toward one another in Christian love. So for the next eight weeks, each sermon that happens morning and evening will be a unique one another sermon. There are 59 times in the New Testament scriptures where the writers stop and they say, Christians, if you're really Christians, you've got to blank one another. Love, serve, forgive, pray for, be patient with, and all of the rest. And so there's 59 of them. We tried to group them together and condense them into 15 of them that we'll explore in the morning and the evening. And if, you don't, if you're a morning person, you don't come to the evening, you can listen to the evening services that Sam will be preaching online and get all 15 of these. That's important. And then towards the end of October, I'll spend six weeks in the morning preaching on Proverbs. And the point of that is to look to this wisdom book and try to get from our God wisdom for this difficult task of one anothering, of loving one another. 
And at that same time, Sam will send, uh, spend six weeks in the evening preaching on Old Testament narratives that will also teach us how to one another, one another very well. And so today we begin our focus on the true church's movement in. And we do so with maybe the first and in some ways the only, certainly the greatest one anothering command in the New Testament. Now, many of these other ones that we will explore, they come from Paul, they come from John, they come from Peter. But this one, this morning, comes right from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the command comes, doesn't it, right in the middle of our passage, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let me ask you this. When I read that, how does that sound to you? How does it make you feel sitting there in the pews? As I give you this explanation of where we're going over the next 14 weeks, How's this all sitting with you in your spirit? For some of you, maybe this sounds great, right? Maybe you think, yeah, this is exactly what Christianity is all about. It's about the love. It's not about the rules. Christianity would be a lot more attractive to my friends and my colleagues, my neighbors, if people wouldn't worry so much about specific beliefs and you know, you gotta believe this and specific moral teachings And if people would just love one another. So thank God we're doing that for 14 weeks. Or maybe it hits you differently. Maybe in in the opposite way. You think to yourself, oh great. Eight weeks plus six more weeks makes 14 weeks of nothing but love, 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 love. (laughs) Right? No doctrine. No ethics. Just love. Come on, pastor. Christianity is about what Jesus has done for us, pastor, and how to be holy. It's not some vague idea of loving people. Where's your spine, pastor? And actually, if, if you're either one of those people, and maybe others too, you're going to be disappointed because, yes, there's going to be love one another and so much of it for the next 14 weeks. But as we'll quickly realize, this is not easy stuff. Doing this loving one another thing well is usually simple but hard, but sometimes it's also complex and difficult. It's actually hard to love one another. Even if you just subtract the whole world outside of the church and people in other churches and you just think, we need to love the people that we're sitting around right now. The kind of people who show up in this place for this kind of thing at 1130 on Sunday mornings, right? Easy people to love, right? But no, it's difficult even to love these people around you. In order to love people in the church right around you so thoroughly that it makes Christian faith attractive to people outside of here, 
then you're going to have to be committed to working on your own heart. So that when you give your heart to the people sitting around you right now in love, what they receive then is the overflow of the love of Jesus and not whatever toxic stuff that we still have in our hearts. Love one another. It's two nice verses in the middle of our passage, but they're difficult verses. And you think, wow, pastor, you really spoiled this passage. Um, I was getting all excited about this. Well, actually, when we look at the wider context here, there's difficult and hard and even dark stuff going on around this command, isn't there? Both the beginning, if you'll look, and the end of our passage, we have the catastrophic failures of two of Jesus' closest friends and followers. Verse 31, as I read, when he had gone out, Judas had left to betray Jesus when he needed him most. And then at the end, verse 38, Jesus tells his top disciple that even though he thinks he's going to be brave and loyal, Peter the rock is actually going to crumble in fear and deny both Jesus and his friends that same night. And if you think that's dark and sad, well, the other verses are sad as well because what is Jesus saying? He's saying, dearest friends, I'm going to leave you now and you cannot come where I'm going. So it's got this love stuff right in the middle, right? But it's a difficult and sad and even dark passage. If you don't think it's dark, look up to verse 30 right before we started reading and see what John says there. It's dark and John says it's literally night. And it's night in that upper room where Jesus and his friends are saying goodbye to one another. And when the passage isn't sharing this sad news, Judas is gone, Peter is weak, I'm about to leave. When it's not sharing this sad news, it's looking right at each of our hearts and is saying, do this almost impossible thing, even when I go. Verse 34, you must love one another. Verse 35, your success or failure in this task is going to be on display for the world around you. So don't fail. In fact, when you succeed, it's as if Jesus is saying, when you succeed, you'll be showing the world that you belong to the one who loves first and last and best, me. When you fail, you will be preaching a loveless sermon with your unloving lives. And it will make me look and sound like a savior who is lacking in love myself. Don't do that, dear friends, Jesus says. It's an almost impossible command. Demonstrate, Jesus says, supernatural love to these very natural, very sinful, very stubborn people that you're sharing your life with in the church. Love the kind of people who will fail in sometimes catastrophic ways, like Peter. Love the kind of people who will have a hard time even getting this whole Christian thing 
Like, for example, James and John, who even in the last month of Jesus' life were trying to get at his right and left hand and thinking about themselves instead of about the grace and forgiveness they needed from Jesus. And when we fail, we don't just fail each other, we fail our Lord Jesus himself. Oh, and one more thing. Not only is your neighbor in the pew next to you difficult to love, but you also are the kind of person who fails and needs this radical love yourself. So, let's go love one another. Sound good? Who's up for it? (laughs) One anothering is difficult, but one anothering is urgent. Loving one another is ultimately what the one anothering commands of the New Testament are really all about. And it's urgent because Jesus and his reputation depends on it. I've heard someone say, I think wisely, that for every look that you take at your own sin, if you really look at your own heart once, you need to take at least five looks at the heart of Jesus Christ. For every one look at your own sin, take five looks at Jesus. I love that. But as we start this journey together, don't forget this also. If you are going to be part of and committed to a community that, that exercises radical love toward one another, the kind of love that is going to cover over with the grace of Jesus a multitude of sins, the kind of love that will make the world see in our very loving the radical love of Jesus, then you need to, for every look that you take at the sin of the person sitting next to you or around you, you're going to need to take five looks at the heart and at the grace of the Lord Jesus himself. In fact, forget your neighbor's sin for a second. Just to look at your fellow Christian around you at all and to see them in love, you're going to have to, at the very same time, be staring straight at the face, full of grace and truth of the Lord Jesus. Look at him. And then before you name the offense, which you might have to do sometimes, of the person around you, hear the Lord Jesus naming your own sins and failures. But as you do, listen carefully and hear the tenderness And the love in his voice as he names what's really happening in your heart. And listen for the hope in his voice as he nevertheless names himself as the great lover of your soul. And then, and then with all of that filling your eyes and your heart and your ears, then go in love and cover over the sins and failures of your fellow Christians and do it with grace and truth and forgiveness. You, friends, can only do this because Jesus has already done it, both for them 
for this broken person that you're next to in worship or in Bible study or at coffee hour. And for you, this needy person that you know that you are every time you really look honestly into the mirror. You are the difficult person in the church, the person who is difficult to love. And the sooner that you and I own that, the more we will be getting on to loving one another well. And so you've got to hear and you need to remember what John actually says at the very beginning of this chapter. Before things get dark, before things get gloomy and impossible, chapter 13, verse 1, what does John say? As he turns the corner and looks at how Jesus loves his own, he says, having loved his own, who were in the world, he, the Lord Jesus, loved them to the end. To the end. Where is Jesus going, by the way, where he can't bring his disciples? Well, he says he's going immediately, verse 31, to glorify his Father and to be glorified by his Father. And he's going two places, actually. One And he has to go to both of these places alone. One, he's going to give up his life, loving his disciples, all the way to the end, the end being the cross at Calvary, dying so that they might have life. That's the first place he's going. Second place, he's going to go victoriously to his father's right hand in heaven, having been raised from the dead. And in both of those movements, the disciples aren't going to go there with him yet. But, notice what he says. He says, soon you will follow me. And you will do these same things. You'll follow later, he says, verse 36. Jesus will do it first and best. But to follow Jesus, you too need to be ready, one, to give up your life for him, for one another, Either suddenly or over and over and over again each day in self-giving love. And then two, and at last, you will follow Jesus not only to his self-giving death, but you will also follow him into his resurrection life and into his glorious return to his father, which will be yours as well. This is a tough passage. This is a tough challenge for us in the coming season of our church life. But even in the midst of the darkness that has fallen on this room as Jesus and his friends gather to have their Passover meal, to have the first, last supper, there's glory in view. There's light shining out of the darkness. Post tenebras lux is the great Latin way of saying after darkness, light. And it's a great way to summarize both the gospel, the good news itself in Jesus Christ and our lives as we follow him. Yes, into dark and tough places, but ultimately to the glory from which he came to us first.
Follow the Lord Jesus, friends. Loving one another today, tomorrow, all the way to the end. Because the Lord Jesus, as he says here, has first and completely loved you all the way to the end. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and his commitment to us, his radical love for us. We thank you that he persevered in this love, that he loved us all the way to the end. We pray that as we turn toward one another as your church, that we would be your true disciples and that that would be evident to the world around us. Because like Jesus, we have turned in love to one another with grace and truth, honesty and forgiveness and Christ-likeness. So forgive our sins and renew our spirits so that we might have the courage to follow Jesus toward one another in love, no matter what the cost. And we pray together in his name. Amen.